You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is... uh the revelation series you should know that but it <laughs> i like to always say hey here's the introduction we're in revelation we're going through this thing and so um we're we're almost done all right so a uh, couple of things first check us out on facebook and instagram you know there's a discussion group on facebook uh, you can leave comments on youtube or Facebook or send an email and all that type of stuff. So just thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hope uh, this has been, you know, at least educational somewhat for you. And um, in some way, if you're a futurist, you know, um, it's probably if you've stuck around this long, you're probably in shock or you may be uh you may be interested to know more, you know, so uh, there's other episodes on preterism and um, I would say check, you know, check it out on, on online and, you know, just uh, watch what's going on out there. So uh, we we here now, we are here now near the end. We're, we're getting there. So if you've not noticed, um, so just let me just sort of you know sum this up that again just as a reminder it's a art it's a overarching view it's this um just in sort of in segments boom 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 here's the biggest things in these chapters and let's discuss those um focusing on the time statements audience relevance you know, or historical limitation and things like that. I am coming at commentary on the book of Revelation written before 70 AD because I believe it's John's extended Olivet Discourse that we find in Matthew 24. And I believe it's about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that happened by the the Roman armies in 70 AD. So, I've been taking it sort of in chunks. If you've not, um, you know, if you've not noticed, you know, it, it, it's gone a couple of chapters at a time um, or, or even a little bit more. It's usually two, sometimes three. And so this one, is uh, chapter 17 through 19. So again, it's not every single thing. We're just going to hit on this, that, and, and you know. <laughs> the biggest thing in here is going to be the harlot. 
Okay, the harlot, who is also called Babylon the Great. And even though this is uh, 17, 18, and 19, I'm going to read for a moment out of Revelation 19. Okay. And uh, this is just uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. And it says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Okay, so... There's a couple of things happening to lead up to this point. Um, destru- the destruction has happened. It's taken place. All right. We're going it, to... It's a sort of like... What's the condition? What's going on after destruction takes place? Well, it's death, right? So um, there's sort of a... Think of a funeral service, all right? Um, after the defeat of Jerusalem, there's this victory march in heaven, and it's paying homage to to Jesus, who was and is the great conqueror. All right, so John has introduced another name for the false prophet. It's a harlot who is called Babylon the Great, and John depicts the final destiny of this great harlot who is Jerusalem and the beast Nero um, because both are going to be cast into the lake of fire and destroyed. Now later in 20, John's going to speak on the devil who will be cast into the lake of fire. That'll be the next episode. All right. So, um, and that's a whole... <laughs> A whole big thing because we have to deal with uh, quite a bit of stuff there, okay? Um, but but we will we will get there when when we get there. I've already been outlining that and, and going through it because uh, there's a lot of things that need to be discussed when we get to there, okay? And I want to discuss the other futures or other views, the futures views and whatnot, okay? So um, and then just of course. At the end of Revelation 21 and 22, this is the, um, it ends with the theme of victory. Okay, so the, the main elements here that we're going to cover here for, for 17 through 19 is this, this funeral, this victory uh, party and celebration that's going on and, and identifying the great harlot and the uh, destruction of of the great harlot and the beast and this lake of fire, okay? Now, if you go back a little bit to chapter 16, 17, it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. All right, so at this point, we have to consider the city was totally destroyed at that time because John's saying, right after that too, um, that every island fled away and the mountains were not found. So it's completely desolate now. It's destroyed. Nothing's left. So 
we know usually when there's a funeral, there's a eulogy, um, and it's to remember somebody and things like that that are said. Um, but instead of being reminded of how good and wonderful these people were, the reader is going to be reminded of how unfaithful and uh, adulterous the person had been. So the this this is reminding the reader how horrible the city of Jerusalem had become and why God was justified in destroying her, um, especially when compared to the, the covenant that they were in and the curses that would come upon them. So John presents part of this in chapter 18 in verse 2, and it says, And he, he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. All right, so just imagine um, <coughs> this this whole city is just completely destroyed. Not one stone's been left upon another. It's totally desolate. It's a ghost town, but he's saying he's using this language that it's inhabited by evil spirits and wild animals and all this stuff that 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 eat the remaining flesh that remains on the bones of those who are dead. All right. So, um, nothing, nothing's, nothing's going on, uh, here. Um, there's no more economy. There's no more music, no more, uh, craftsmanship and things like that. Because we know in revelation 18, 22 and 23, it says, and the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpet tears will not be heard in you any longer and no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer and the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer and the light of a lamp will not shine in, in you any longer and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer for your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations <clears throat> were deceived by your sorcery all right um so economy was dependent on idolatry um, um and, and it's gone <laughs> so i rather i should say the the e economy that was dependent upon all of that is gone now Jer jerusalem was had been rich by trading and 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 merchandising and all that but now it's dead and in Revelation 19, 17, 18, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in, in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men both free men and slaves, and small and great. So this is a description of what happened to Jerusalem, and it's part of their eulogy. Now, we want to compare, all right, C compare Scripture with Scripture. So comparing the end of the actual literal Babylon in the Old Testament with this 
spiritual Babylon, Jerusalem, um, the Old Testament Babylon had become the exact same way. And we can find this in Isaiah 13. It says, Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. And their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. In Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitches tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches also will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will soon come, and her days will not be prolonged. That's Isaiah thirteen seventeen through 22. So this is a description of old Babylon, and it parallels the condition of the new Babylon, Jerusalem, after her destruction. All right, so the fire in the city is burned out. The only sounds remaining are those of wild beasts. You know, God and God used a nation to bring judgment upon the people in both old and new Babylon. Both cities became completely destroyed or ghost towns that are occupied now by by wild animals. This is this is its eulogy. All right. So uh, to emphasize the potency of the text here, um, you, you, you just. Think of a, fu- a funeral of, a, of a, a, a wicked person like Hitler or something, right? That, that's what John's dealing with, all right? And this, and this that, that is, um, it, it's my view and other views that Jerusalem was called the great harlot in chapter 17, 1, and, and 17, 5, that she was called Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So, We're going to talk about that and tease it out a little bit. So, and the reason why I say we're going to look at that and tease it out a little bit is because there's, it's controversial in the church throughout some of the ages. Uh, There's a big disagreement and it's split down the middle. Okay, so um, Babylon has been associated with Rome and than with Jerusalem, so you guys got you guys got um, people like Barclay, um, Craig Keener, uh, that that say it's Rome, but then you have guys like David Chilton and Kenneth Gentry and Milton S. Terry, who says um, it, it's Jerusalem, which I agree with, and we'll we'll. Get to that. Milton S. Terry has got a book called Biblical Hermeneutics. Fantastic. I, I can't say I've read it all. I go to it when I, you know, uh, need information. A fantastic 
fantastically crazy written book on biblical her- hermeneutics, but it's old, it's hard to read, and I have to take it in, sh- in short pieces, but great book. Um, uh, many, many, many scholars and theologians use that book. Um, not to say that I'm one or, or whatever, I'm just saying it's fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to argue for the position that the great harlot was Jerusalem. All right, and it should be obvious once you just think logically at some of the things that it mentions, okay? Now, first is the description of what this harlot looks like, okay? And it says, The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things uh, of her immortality. Just my microphone here. Okay, so um, that's Re- Revelation seventeen four. All right, John John was describing describing the priesthood of Jerusalem as represented by the high priest. Okay, and so all we have to do just and and also remember Jerusalem and the high priest can be interchangeable. Changeable here, it's sort of synonymous. Okay, but. You just got to think about how the high priest, just purple. I mean, purple right there should just bring Jewish uh, color or Jewish uh, clothing to mind, okay? So it this highly resembles the dress of the Jewish high priest as he entered the temple's Holy of Holies once a year. He wore purple and scarlet clothing. And there was also precious stones and pearls on the breastplate that they wore. Okay, so uh, listen to Exodus 28, 4, and 5. Ah, sorry. <laughs> it says, These are the garments of which they shall make, a, a breastpiece and an ephod, a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. They shall also make the, it's it's a ephod of gold, epod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen and work, uh, the, the work of the skillful workmen. All right, and, and then in Exodus 28, 17, 20, it says, you shall mount on it four rows of stones the first row shall be a a row of ruby topaz and emerald the second turquoise sapphire and a diamond and third is um, uh, I don't know how to say that jacinth and a gate and amethyst Um, and the fourth row a barrel and an onyx and a jasper they shall be set in gold filigree alright there you go now to demonstrate then the connection between Jerusalem and the great harlot, there's there's an image in two separate verse, verses, okay? And, and it's this, Revelation 17, 3, and it says, And he carried, okay, so listen, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns, okay? 
I saw a woman setting on a scarlet beast. Okay, that's 17.3. And then 17.7 says, And the angel said to me, uh, why, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Okay, so there's a woman setting on a beast, having sent seven heads and ten horns, and so the beast that carries her has seven heads and ten horns, okay? The beast is the Roman Empire. The harlot was being carried by the beast. So the, the harlot cannot be the beast, all right? The beast cannot carry the beast. So um, they're two distinct persons, all right? So the, the harlot... Can't, cannot be the Roman Empire, all right? So now some say, some have um, separated some of this, and the city of Rome from the Roman Empire identified the beast as Rome and the harlot as the Roman Empire, but that just this just doesn't work. Um, the harlot had to represent something other than Rome or the Roman Empire because the beast carried the harlot, Okay. The, the harlot setting on the beast. All right. So it's representing Jerusalem or the leadership of Jerusalem, the, the priesthood. Okay. So then you look at the mention of the word Babylon in chapter 17. Okay. The city that was split into three parts. Okay. This is a continuation of the Babylon that's first introduced just in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, in the text where. The seventh angel poured out the seventh bowl of wrath. Okay, so the the object of the pouring out of the wrath of God was Jerusalem. So, you know, a change in the identity of Babylon is not ex expected here within the, the, the surrounding context because it's too close together in Revelation 16, 19 and Revelation 17, 5. Okay, so the Babylon of chapter 17 is the exact same Babylon of chapter 16. And they both are Jerusalem. The next is in Revelation 17, 16, John said, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. All right? So who became desolate and naked or stripped and just totally decimated after Rome's invasion? That would be Jerusalem. All right. So the ten horns represented the kings of other nations as a complete body under the authority of the Roman Empire that aided and abetted in the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. So because Rome um, often recruited other nations to aid in their military ventures. Okay, so the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. That's 1712. All right, these kings had some power, but they did not have the power of Caesar. Okay, they help Rome. For this particular, you know, quotations here, one hour battle, okay, a short final battle compared to the long history of Israel. All right, so they 
fully participated in the hatred of Jerusalem, and they found pleasure in this destruction as well. All right, so 17.16 says, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate naked, and will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. All right, so you have this allegiance of these ten kings to Rome, and their hatred of Israel is this result that's being carried out because of the curses of the Old Covenant. All right, so because God's ordaining this, and and they um, the they they are aiding Rome and carrying out all of this is taking place. All right, and the reason for that this is God's <laughs> this is God's will, His will here being revealed because it's seventeen seventeen says for God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. All right, so, again, remembering that under the old covenant in Deuteronomy, there's curses, and now we're seeing prophecies of those things, um, of Jesus speaking of, uh, of these things being fulfilled. Matthew 8, 11 and 12 says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then in Matthew 21, 43-45, it says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. It's interesting that they never believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but then they perceived all of the the. Uh, the prophecies and the woes and, and the destruction talk to be about them. Uh, that's fascinating. Now, so, we, we should be, it, it's clear, the great harlot was the priesthood who represented Jerusalem, okay? So, also in pointing this out, um, in verse 18 of chapter 17, John wrote, The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, so the great city, we saw this was back in chapter 11, 8, um, when it said, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, right? That th This is where Jesus was crucified. That great city was the city of Jerusalem. All right, so the question is, how did Jerusalem reign over the kings of the earth? Well, uh, the whole identity of the great harlot is is wrapped up there. All right, John said Jerusalem was the one with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So these kings waged war against Christians, so they're drunk with passion and their desire to persecute Christians as well. All right, seventeen fourteen says. These will wage war against the Lamb 
and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. All right, so now earth can be translated as land, okay? But during the New Testament period before the fall of, of Jerusalem, there was a number of rulers who had influence over the land of Israel. Now, they were all subservient to Caesar, and they worshipped Caesar, okay? However, even though they were officially rulers um, of the land of the Jews, the Jews or the Jewish priesthood actually ruled them because the priesthood used their rulers to further their own purposes. Okay, so the priesthood really ruled over the rulers and the best example of that manipulation uh, is the manipulation of uh, of Pilate in the death of Jesus. All right, so uh, Herod Agrippa I is held responsible then for the death of James and the arrest of Peter because in Acts 12, 1 and 3, it says, Now, about the time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them, okay, or now about that time, okay, it says, says that and then he says and he had James the brother of John put to death when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also okay so notice how the how the king did what was pleasing to the Jews so the roman kings were officially over the land of israel but the harlot all right the jewish priesthood manipulated these kings in the land of israel to get their way now notice in 1715 that the great harlot sat on many waters. And later in chapter 17, um, an, an angel told John what that meant. Okay, so it, it's help, helpful when Revelation interprets itself. So, you know, 1715, the, the waters which you saw were where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. All right. So, um, it, th this isn't a problem. This doesn't present a problem because Jesus or Jerusalem was full of people from many nations who spoke in many tongues. You just look back at Pentecost and acts two. All right. Th five through 11. We know what was going on there. And it lists all these people were, um, or these, these pe uh, places where these people were from. All right, so you have to know Jerusalem was this like big cosmopolitan city during, uh, especially during the holy days. All right, so some of the international Jews lived there permanently, but it was it was a mecca for Jews from all over the Roman Empire. All right, so it was the holy city for for international and devout Jews who either lived there or made the annual pilgrimages there. All right, so these multinational Jews were under the spell of the Jewish priesthood all right so go, if going back to acts 2 actually shows the connection then between the jewish priesthood with many nations and tongues next point <laughs> is revelation 18 4 and 5 reiterates that this was the city from which the christians escaped before its destruction you know, I said, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins 
and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So God's warning to leave that hope, this place. Um, and, and so this is, again, another reason to believe that the harlot was Jerusalem. And then there's the timing issue, okay? Rome is not going to fall for several hundred years later, okay? Um, and that would come with the conversion of Constantine to the Christian faith. Then they make Christianity legal or and all that. Okay, so remember that the events in Revelation were to happen soon because the time is near. So Jerusalem is the only option here. Okay, so Christians got to be ready to run from the city. And Revelation 16, 15 says, it says, Behold, I am coming like a, a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And then last point is that the city in this chapter was identified as the place where the prophets and saints were slain. And the great harlot is drunk with the blood of the saints and the and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus in 17.6, all right? Now, yeah, there was martyrs. Uh, martyrdom was going on in the city of Rome, but Jerusalem is the focus of this, this vision and this destruction um, in Revelation, all right? And killing Christians was the major indictment. Uh, of Jesus against the city of Jerusalem. And John made, makes it clear that he's speaking of Jerusalem because it was in the city where the blood of the prophets and saints was shed. In Revelation 18.24, it says, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. All right? Now, um... <clears throat> It, it was the Jewish people who were held responsible for piercing Christ using the instrument of the Roman rulers, right? These apostate Jews were charged with the guilt of the bloodshed of the saints in the past, of Christ in his death on the cross, and the saints in the early church. So we go all the way back to Revelation chapter 1, right? Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the land. So there it is. So, the great harlot was Jerusalem, the three persons, the harlot, Babylon the great, and the false prophet are all one and the same and synonymous. Now, we then turn our attention to the saints of God in heaven because they're rejoicing over the destruction. In 1820, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And then in chapter 19, there's a great multitude that are singing, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. Now, Hallelujah means praise Jehovah, all right? So you notice that even though it was Rome, it destroys the city. Uh, God's the one who receives the praise, right? God brought this judgment using instruments of earth, right? But um, he he gets the glory for it. In Revelation 19.2 is more uh, praise. It says, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And then this goes to another hallelujah. And the second time they said hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. 
so hallelujah is used four times in the first six verses of that the section in chapter 19 and then there's like this a picture of a victory march of jesus after the defeat okay well that that was there that was in in, in 17 okay so it this is a common theme in the first century okay um after a victory of an army over an enemy the military general would lead his soldiers into the city before the crowds who are celebrating that victory okay so um it's just gone like um i'm trying domitian um okay the 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 arch of titus is actually something that you could still visit visit today in Rome. Okay, this is a monument to his victory marches, and it was constructed around 82 AD by Domitian shortly after the death of his older brother Titus. And it's there to commemorate Titus's victory, and one of those victories include the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. All right, so in these victory marches, the conquered enemy was put on display as the army marched into the city. The conquered walked in chains behind them, behind the horses, and their wealth is all carried and displayed on wagons. Okay, so the victory march in Revelation seems to take place in heaven. And John John says, um, he tells us this, and um, he says, I saw heaven opened, 1911. Okay, and it's led by the great general of heaven. We we meet him. He's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and and on his robe and on his thigh, he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19:16. Here is Jesus, King Jesus, and I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And he's being followed by his soldiers who are also riding on white horses. When it says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So not only has he won, won the war, you know, he's won all wars. Because from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. So, <clears throat> the crowds in heaven saw the evidence of Christ's battle with the enemy and he is clothed with a robe that's dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God in 1913 and Christ was this general who fought in the midst of the battle he's not standing at a far distance and just watching now this symbolizes that he was there in the midst of the battle and in the midst of the death and the blood and then we go to the burial service. Okay. John describes this final fate of both the false prophet and the beast in 1920. And this is, this is, uh, this passage in Revelation isn't, this is, isn't just like, oh, hey, they're done. This is the eternal destruction of both the false prophet and the beast 
Now, the beast is probably a reference to Nero, since John made a reference to the mark of the beast in verse 20. Nero was dead. He committed suicide in 68. And Jerusalem now is in ashes. It's destroyed. The Jewish priesthood was just, is dead. And the final destination of both of them is in this lake of fire and this dis- complete total destruction. At least that's what I hold to. So that, that, that's what we get in 17 through 19. All right. We have this, um, the end, the destruction, all right. The, this, the, the eulogy, the identity of the harlot and the, the destruct, the final destruction, the eternal destruction. And it's all, um, also is being celebrated and given glory to God with the victory march of Jesus after all this war. So this, the Jewish priesthood, um, and the great harlot, right, um, has been destroyed, cast into this lake of fire, Nero and the beast has been cast there too. God divorced the harlot, O Jerusalem. Jesus was now ready to take a new bride, and this is the church. So Jesus, riding in a procession of celebration in the midst of heaven itself here, is seen. And this is this victory march after the war. And he has come home now to take a new wife. And there's going to be this great wedding feast. And he's riding on a white horse. And everyone in the armies on white horses. And everyone in heaven, including martyrs, are all greeting them with joy. And they're happy. And they're singing. And not only was Jesus victorious um, over Jerusalem, um, but it's they are all placed in Christ. They're all victorious over it as well. And uh, this, then, you know, it's like, well, that's, <laughs> uh, this is going to lead us, you know, into the last few chapters. Okay, so we're going to be looking then at the destruction of, of Satan which is going to include the millennium, the 1,000 years, and all that complex imagery and language that's being used there. It's not to be taken literal, in my opinion. And um, he's going to be destroyed. He's going to go to that lake of fire, too. And then we're going to consider um, heaven and earth and uh, covenant language and spiritual Jerusalem, the church coming out of heaven. And the ongoing future of the bride, faithful bride of Christ, um, the church. So that wraps this one up. Hope you enjoyed it. All right. If you have any questions, comments, disagreements, feel free to send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be loving. Thanks for listening.